Good morning. If you have a Bible with you and you want to follow along as we open it up, we are going to be in the book of Galatians as we continue through our journey. Uh, We'll be in chapter 4, Galatians 4. And we've been in this book now for a while. And I wonder for those of you who have been with us uh, through this journey, if someone were to ask you, what is the book of Galatians about? I wonder what you'd say. How would you sum it up? Well, I'll give you my answer. Um, actually, this is just one way to say it. There are, there are many ways you could say it. But uh, one way to say it would be that there is really only one way to live with God's approval. It's only one way to live with God's approval, and that is by faith in Jesus Christ, who fulfills all of God's promises. It is Jesus who makes us right with God. It is Jesus who forgives our sins and brings us into God's family and makes us heirs of God. And he does that when we first come to him, put our trust in him, and receive him into our lives. When we put faith in Jesus. It's Jesus then who does all that. And then, from that point on, it is Jesus who continues to work in us and transform our lives from the inside out by his Spirit as we live by faith in him. As the writer of this book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul puts it in chapter 2, verse 20, it's a great theme verse for the whole book. Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how to live with God's approval. That's how God intends for us to live. By faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us, That is, by relying on Jesus, putting our confidence in him, uh, putting our confidence in all that he has promised to do, and to do that daily, hourly, moment by moment. That's how God intends for us to live. But as this book makes clear, and as we all know, that's not the way of living that comes naturally. And there are many competing ideas in our world of how to live, how life should be lived. And, for example, there was a group of people who were uh, very influential and who were telling the Galatian believers in Jesus that the way to live was not the way the Apostle Paul explained it, the gospel Relying, you know, putting your faith in Jesus and Him alone, they were saying, no, the way to get God's approval and the way to live with God's approval 
is keeping the laws that he had given to the people of Israel. So all of the, all of the regulations and rituals and rules contained, you know, in effect, in our Old Testaments. Now, what this competing way of life amounts to is a very popular idea among church-going people. Whether we use this word or not, this is what you can call it. It's called moralism. And moralism is basically relying on your efforts to be a good person, to be moral, to conform to this moral standard. The standard might vary from place to place, but that's the basic dynamic, is you rely on your efforts to be a good moral person, moral conformity. But as we've seen again and again in this book, this book of Galatians, and actually the whole Bible, completely contradicts moralism. You do not become a child of God, or you do not live as a child of God, by relying on your moral performance. You will never experience the freedom Jesus died to give us that way. In fact, moralism is a form of spiritual slavery. Now, that's really the point we talked about last time. Now we're coming to another section where Paul's going to do something very interesting, and that is he's going to give us a picture. He's going to go back to the law, to the uh, Torah, and he's going to pull from that a picture of what he's talking about. And again, this is what he's talking about. Two options, namely... You live by faith in God's promises fulfilled in Jesus. If you do that, you're a son. You're a son, namely, meaning you're an heir. It doesn't mean male child in this context. It means you're an heir of God. Or if you live by law-keeping, that is, if you seek God's favor through your moral performance, you're not an heir you're a slave. And Paul's going to illustrate this point with an event from the life of Abraham. Now, he had brought up Abraham before. If you've been with us or you're familiar with the book, back in chapter 3, Paul brought up Abraham because Genesis says very clearly that Abraham was justified, that is, made right with God, Approved by God through faith, through believing God, through putting his trust in God and what God had said, God's promises. And that all happened long before God had given Israel the law. So Abraham's case in point. I mean, and the, the Jewish people descended from Abraham. Man, you know, they, they admired and honored Abraham as the father of their faith. And so Paul just pulls out Abraham and said, okay, how was Abraham made right with God? How did Abraham become a child of God? By faith. That's the same thing I'm telling you. Now fulfilled in Jesus. Okay, now, here in chapter 4, he's going to bring up another episode from the book of Genesis, another episode in Abraham's life to show us how necessary it is 
that we continue to live by faith and not default to this moralism thing. Okay, so we're in Galatians 4, beginning at verse 21. And there's a note sheet in your folder if you want to pull that out. Galatians 4.21. Paul says, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, that is, you want to adopt the law, that's what you're being told, you got to keep all its rules and rituals and all in order to experience God's approval. All right, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. So you can see he's continuing on this theme of sonship versus slavery that we talked about last time. And he's reminding us that Abraham had two sons. He had one son by his wife, Sarah, named Isaac, and he had another son by Sarah's servant named Hagar. Now we're going to read a little bit in Genesis here in just a couple of minutes. We need to understand what Paul is doing here. See, the people who were trying to convince the Galatians that they needed to adopt law-keeping as the go-to for living with God's approval... They were very proud of the fact that they were sons of Abraham. They were descended physically from Abraham. They kept the law. And so they're talking to the Galatians who are not Jewish. They are not physically descendants of Abraham. And what they're telling them, in effect, is this. If you want to be a son of Abraham like us, then the way to do that is to keep the law. That's what they're being told. And here's what Paul's doing. He's basically saying this. Uh, Yes, it's true that keeping the law will make you a son of Abraham, but not the kind of son you want to be. Because Abraham had two sons. And one of them was the son of a slave. And that's what you will end up becoming If you live by law-keeping instead of by faith in God's promises. So he's appealing to this incident in Abraham's life to make that point. So two sons, one by Hagar named Ishmael, one by Sarah named Isaac. And here's the thing to see, okay? Focus in on verse 23. It says that Ishmael, the son of Hagar, was born... According to the flesh. What does that mean? Aren't we all born according to the flesh? Okay, what this means is not flesh as opposed to, I don't know, spirit or something. What he means is, according to the flesh is, look at the contrast. What's contrasted with flesh here? His birth was according to the flesh. The contrast is being born through promise. What that tells us then, you tracking? What that tells us is that Ishmael's birth was the result of not 
trusting in God's promise. Isaac, the son of Sarah, was born through promise, through God fulfilling the promise he had made. And this this contrast, here's why this is relevant for us. This pictures the choice that you and I must make basically every day. If we've come to the place of putting our faith in Jesus and we've become children of God through faith in Him, the choice we face every day is, shall we live by faith in God's promises fulfilled in Jesus? Or shall we live putting our faith in something else, namely, in ourselves, our achievement, our merit, our performance, our wisdom, our understanding, and so on. This is so really relevant because, see, look, think about Abraham. He had put his trust in God's promises years ago, like 10 years ago. Now, 10 years later, he chokes. He chokes. He makes a choice to trust, not in God's promises, but in something else. And you know, the consequences of that choice were extremely hurtful and long-lasting. In fact, they're still with us today. This really is the root of the continuing conflict between the Jewish people and the Arab people. Why did he do that? Why did he choke and make this terrible choice? He was in a tough spot. And this is why I want to read this, and I want to read about what happened to him and what influenced his choice, because I believe this will help us. It's going to help us see that living by faith in God's promises is easy to talk about when we're all sitting here clothed and in our right minds and just, yeah, live by faith in God, yes. Live by faith in Jesus. Like that's just going to be so easy and so obvious. Living by faith in God's promises can be very difficult. And doing it Actually doing it will require you to make difficult choices at times. And you see that in Abraham's experience and seek to learn from it, okay? Genesis chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, okay, that's Sarah's name before God changed it, and then Abram is Abraham, same people. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And yes, that means exactly what you think it means. Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. Literally, Abraham listened to the voice of Sarai. So, after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, 
Sarai's wife took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Conflict immediately. Now, you can read the rest of the story later, but let me just cut to the chase. Hagar gives birth to Ishmael, and Ishmael does not become Abraham's heir, because 13 years later, Sarah miraculously becomes pregnant and gives birth to Isaac, who does become the heir. Now, this arrangement with Hagar is messed up on several levels, but let's be clear as to why it happened. It happened because of Abraham's failure, and Sarah's also, their failure to live by faith in God's promises. That's why this happened. Now, you might find that surprising if you think, well, the Bible says that God blessed Abraham. And if God blessed Abraham, Abraham must be a good guy because that's how it works, right? God blesses good people and he judges bad people. Isn't that the message of the Bible? Actually, no, it's not. The Bible does not teach, though many people think it does. Bible does not teach that God rewards good people. It teaches that God is gracious to sinful people who don't deserve it. And he works in their lives to make them good, to give them the goodness and bring out of their lives the goodness he desires. God loves people. God makes promises to people. God rescues people. God forgives people. God blesses people because he is good. Not because we are. And he does it through faith. That's the channel. And, this is glorious, even when our faith stumbles at times, like Abraham's does here, if you know the end of the story, if we become his children by putting our hope in him, our trust in him, and his promises, and that's what Abraham had done, if we become his children, even when our faith falters, God is faithful to keep his promises. It's glorious. Abraham became a child of God by faith, but he stumbles here, and he fails to live by faith. So, what can we learn from his failure? We can learn that living by faith in God's promises requires tough choices at times. And I want to point out three of these tough choices because I can pretty much guarantee that if you become a child of God by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and you want to live by faith in him, which is the only way to live according to Scripture, 
That's God's intention for your life, that you live by faith. I can guarantee that you will face these tough choices. Probably again and again and again. Okay, you ready? You excited? All right, tough choices. I love tough choices. Here's the first one. You want to live by faith in God's promises fulfilled in Jesus Christ, you're going to have to make the tough choice to reject bad advice even from people you love. To reject bad advice even from people you love. Did you notice where this idea to have a child through Hagar came from? His wife. His wife, Sarah. I would love to tell you that everybody you love and admire and respect will always give you wonderful advice. But it wouldn't be true. It's just not true. Sometimes people you love give you terrible advice. Even if they mean well. She meant well. There are people in your life who mean well are going to give you bad advice at times. They love you. You love them. Everybody means well, and it's bad advice. Now, apparently, <laughs> this arrangement was a culturally acceptable option for getting a child. And Sarah and Abraham really, really wanted a child. And we really don't know what Hagar thought about all this. We don't know if, well, yeah, she was willing, ah, I want to help. Maybe she wanted a child too. Who knows? God had promised to give Abraham and Sarah a child, but it still hadn't happened yet. So Sarah, idea, let's do the Hagar thing. That was really bad advice. But you know something? When someone you love gives you bad advice, it's really, really hard to say no. Now, how do you know if their advice is bad? That's an important question. How do you know the advice is bad? You know it's bad if it's out of sync with God's values and priorities, God's ways. How do you know what those are? You got to know the book. You got to know the book. Not just the words on the page, but what it means, what God is teaching us through this. We have to have minds and hearts that are saturated with God's truth. In this case, God had made his intentions, his design for marriage very clear. Genesis 2.24 Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. One husband one wife, one sexual union. And when God said back in chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply, he said it to husband and wife. And then God, you know, prior, just one chapter before chapter 16, which is where we are, back in chapter 15, God had just appeared to Abraham and said to him, your very own son, because Abraham was worried, hey, it's not happening, God. Kind of getting worried about this, and my servant is going to end up being my heir. And God appears and says, no, no, he won't. Your, your very own son from your very own body will be your heir. Now, somebody might object to that and say, well, yeah. Sure, he said Abraham would be the father. 
But he didn't specify that Sarah would be the mother. Why would he have to specify that? Why? Why would it even enter Abraham or Sarah's mind that some other woman would be the mother? He's married to her. Period. Husband, wife, one sexual union, one flesh. That's it. You know where this bad idea comes from? This bad idea comes from not caring enough about what God has said and caring more about what other people say and what other people think. And we can do that, can't we? Yes, we can. Because we hate saying no to people we love. We hate disappointing people. We don't want to make them mad. And so we end up listening to them instead of listening to God. Is there somebody in your life who's giving you bad advice? They mean well. They love you. But if the truth were known, they're really not all that interested in what God has said about it. Or they don't really know what God has said about it. They don't seem to care. It is a tough choice to say no to their well-intentioned advice. But living by faith means trusting God over any contrary opinion. Second tough choice, and this is closely related to the first, but a little different angle. If you want to live by faith, you've got to choose to stick to God's ways, even if another way seems very sensible. Seems to make a lot of sense here. So now it's just not so much just that somebody's giving you advice, but it's like, you know, think about that. That makes a lot of sense. So having a child through Hagar apparently made a lot of sense. Well, it was culturally acceptable. Sarah was infertile and past the normal age of childbearing. She wanted a child. Abraham wanted a child. God wanted to give them a child. So Sarah thinks, hey, you know what? Maybe we just need to help God out here. Let's help God out. He wants us to have a child. Well, we can make that happen. After all, God helps those who help themselves. That's right in the Bible, isn't it? Please tell me you know that's not in the Bible. No, 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 no. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> this was absolutely not the right way to go, even if it seemed to make sense. Why? Because it was contrary to God's way. As I said, it's not like God's design for marriage and sex and making babies was unclear. Now we can tell ourselves it's not that clear. We can tell ourselves, well, I don't know. I don't know about that. What about in this situation here? Or what about if this happens? Let's just be really honest. When some other way than God's revealed way seems to make a lot of sense to us, it's almost always because that other way is really what we want to do. It makes sense to us because that's what we want to do. 
So somebody says, I don't know, I think having sex outside of marriage, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's because that's really what you want to do. Or somebody says, yeah, I think redefining marriage to include other kinds of relationships besides the husband-wife relationship, I think that makes sense. I think that's more loving. Yeah, but that's probably because that's what you want to do because either you want that or you want to go along with the culture and you want to appear tolerant, you want to appear open-minded and reasonable. Or on a completely different topic, somebody says, you know, on the topic of giving, let's say, I think it makes sense to wait until I'm financially secure before I give to the Lord's work of making disciples. That's because that's what you want to do. That's why it seems to make sense. But here's the point of all that, and we could go on with many, many examples, where what God has said maybe doesn't feel like it makes as much sense as what others are saying. The point is, choosing to stick with God's way, man, that can be a really tough choice, especially when there's a lot of pressure to go the other way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 sums it up. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Let me clarify. That doesn't mean turn off your brain. What that means is when your own understanding says go a different way than what God's way is, don't lean on your understanding. Trust in the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Third tough choice. You've got to choose to not despair even when God's timing seems to make no sense. Choose not to despair even when God's timing seems senseless. I think timing is one of the biggest factors in this bad decision. In fact, verse 3 here makes a point of telling us that this Hagar thing happened 10 years after Abraham moved to Canaan. So, 10 years ago, God had appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to get up, pack up, go to the land that I'm going to show you and give to you. And by the way, I'm going to give it to all the descendants you're going to have. I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants, you can't even count them. That was 10 years ago. You know how old Abraham was then? 75. You know how old he is now? 75 plus 10, that's 85. And it hasn't happened. How many couples do you know who get pregnant for the first time in their 80s? Sure seems like if God was going to make this happen, he'd have done it by now. How long are they supposed to wait? How long should we wait for God to keep his promises? How long should we wait before we take matters into our own hands, so to speak, and do something contrary to God's ways? Answer, as long as it takes. 2 Peter 3.8, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the, day, with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
So here Peter's talking about Jesus' promise to return. He said he would come again. He promised to return. He promised to take those who trust him to be with him. He promised to make right every wrong, put an end to all injustice, all evil, all sin. Promised to transform our dying bodies to be like his glorious body. And to make us happy in his presence forever. He promised that 2,000 years ago. How long are we supposed to wait before we go, I don't know, I don't think so. How long before we despair? Well, according to God's calendar here, as Peter looks at it, it's been two days since Jesus made that promise. He's not slow. He's patient. Which tells us that God has good reasons for his timing, even when we don't know what those reasons are. And we often don't know. And it may have nothing to do with us. It might be his patience with someone else. And the temptation to despair at times is very real. It's very real. What do I mean by despairing? Giving up. To quit praying. To quit hanging out with God's people. To quit reading his word. To quit thanking him and praising him and rejoicing in him. That's a command. Rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, find your ultimate joy in Him. Living by faith includes the hard choice to keep doing all of those things even when God's timing for what He's doing in your life seems to make absolutely no sense. 1 Peter 5, 6 Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Guess who defines what the proper time is? Hint, it's not you or me. Casting all your anxieties on him. Don't you love that? He's just told you, basically, be patient, humble yourself, wait for God's timing. Yeah, but, and all those anxieties that just rose up in you, cast them on him because he cares for you. Look at this, verse 10. After you have suffered a little while, guess who defines what a little while is? Hint, it's not you. After you have suffered a little while. By the way, don't hear that as demeaning, the pain that you or someone else is going through. That doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. That doesn't mean it's not excruciating. It doesn't mean that he cares for you. And after you have suffered a little while, from the perspective of eternity, and then look what he does to give perspective. The God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself personally restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The choice to live by faith 
in spite of what other people say, in spite of what seems to make sense, in spite of how things look, can be very tough. But that's the way the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory in Christ, that's how he wants us to live. There is no other way. This is living by faith. Let's pray together. As I said, I'm confident that you and I will face these tough choices again and again. I just think we all need to know that, be aware of it. The God of all grace, who's called us to his eternal glory, his timing might look different. His ways will look different than the advice others give us. And he will strengthen and confirm and establish us as we as we put our confidence in him. And that's the plea this morning. Trust him. Trust him. Let us trust him. If you're here this morning, you've never yet taken that step, that first step to become a child of God, you could do that by just saying, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I need you in my life. I need you to show me your ways and to lead me. For all of us who have already taken that step, Examine the advice you're given. Measure it to the word of God. Put your confidence in him and his promise. That's the only way to live. Father, thank you uh, for this reminder. Help us, Lord. We need your help. We need one another's help to live by faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.